0: During, during Adrian's performance of the innkeeper, there was a couple mentions of, of Messiah or this thing that was to come. Genesis chapter 12 is, is not the beginning, but it's one of the clearest pictures of, like, I'm making a promise. God's saying, I'm going to use you. I'm going to make a promise. And it's it's the beginning of of the idea that there's something to come, that God's going to usher into earth to restore blessing and to bring about blessing. Now, the Lord said to Abram in verse 1 of chapter 12, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God makes a promise to Abraham. Leave your leave all this comfortable, all this familiar, all that you know. And I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to make a blessing. I'm going, and this is the beginning of the messianic prophecy, to where. A promise from God that I'm going to bring about my purposes on earth. And my purposes look a lot like blessing. They look like righteousness and justice. And I'm going to use you, my people, to accomplish this. The Messiah is talked about in probably the most famous uh, Christmas passage, Isaiah 9. Turn with me to Isaiah 9. And you, this will sound so familiar to all of us. We read it every year at Christmas time. But it becomes a very specific detailed version of how this blessing is going to arrive see up until this point god's continued to reestablish and reaffirm this blessing and he gave the blessing to judah and he gave the he gave the promise to judah and he gives a promise to david and they continue to fall away and he said the messiah is coming and here the prophets talked about it and we're going to watch a video here in a second from the bible project but here's the the most famous and we're going to kind of live here for a minute in isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 the people who walk in darkness will see a great light those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. What a promise. You're walking in darkness, and I'm going to illuminate it. I'm going to give you clarity. I'm going to give you light. I'm going to show you the way to walk. Thou shalt multiply the nation. Thou shalt increase their gladness. There will be, they will be glad in thy presence as the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when the, they divide the spoil. For thou shalt break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. And the rod of their oppressor, as the battle at the battle of Midian, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and a cloak rolled in blood will be will be for burning fuel for the fire. And here's the big promise: for a child we will be born to us, the son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is a very specific promise of the Messiah. The Messiah is coming to bring blessing, to bring purpose, to bring his hope to the earth. The Messiah was something talked about from Genesis 3.15 is when it was initiated. All the way to the end. The Messiah is going to come and destroy evil for good. The Messiah came in the person of Christ and, and lived his life fulfilling many of the ancient prophecies, the, the ancient promises. Keep that in mind, those promises that, that God made to people regularly so that the people would continue to instill hope to the world. And then as we're waiting, as we're waiting for Jesus to return again, we are the agents of hope now the people that are talking and bringing and, and actually have the, the, been given the authority of the, through the Holy Spirit to bring hope and healing and relationship and, and to reconcile people back to God through, through our, our ministry and witness to them. So have those ideas and concepts in your mind. Let's talk about the promises. What's a promise? A promise is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or a particular thing will happen. God's making promises. A promise is designed in its core to increase belief, to to raise up belief, to create hope, to inspire confidence. That's what a promise is supposed to do. So when we look at what was promised through Isaiah and taught in Isaiah chapter 9, through the scriptures they're not just prophecy for us to maybe put a little hook into but we it's supposed to inspire deep confidence in us and deep hope and raise our belief and inspire us to be agents of hope to others so what did god promise to through isaiah in uh in isaiah chapter 9 one promise a child's coming When we were kids, one of the traditions we'd have in our household is uh, we'd have the nativity set up um, like this over here. I don't know if anybody can see this. We'd have the nativity set up, and there'd be a missing piece to it. We would take the baby Jesus out. I'm going to drop it like I dropped the microphone last week. I threw the microphone. And baby Jesus would be somewhere else in the house. Now, it wasn't a hidden, like elf on the shelf. It was just... It was baby Jesus, not in the nativity. It was somewhere else. So then on Christmas morning, my father would read Luke chapter 2, and then whoever was going to be uh, the gift passer that morning would go and find baby Jesus and put baby Jesus in the nativity. That happened every year. And the promise is, is that the child is going to come. There will be a child that's born. And we practice that as l- kids that we would put the child in the nativity scene. But we all, we celebrate the birth of Christ at Christmas. A child's coming. Isaiah said, a child will be born. That's the promise. It's fulfilled. He's coming to give in the darkness. He's coming to, in a dark time, he's coming and he's going to provide light. There is this silent period between the Old Testament and the arrival of Jesus, the intertestamental period, where God felt like God was silent and I would imagine it felt pretty dark, and there was just a wandering of darkness, and people were just kind of doing their thing. And sometimes I think nowadays it feels like God's not speaking to us, which we know is not true. But when Jesus arrives, it's to bring light into this, this absence of words, absence of, of anything that's good. Any, we've, 400 years of forgotten promises, and Jesus of Nazareth arrives in Bethlehem. The child will be called Emmanuel, Isaiah says. God with us. He will will come to inhabit not only our hearts, but this world that God is walking with us. The God-man will be here. One of the other promises that Isaiah gives is that his character will be on display. And he gives four phrases, four things that he says God, that Jesus will be. He'll be wonderful counselor. He'll be mighty God. He'll be the everlasting Father and He'll be the Prince of Peace. Now, how do we experience that? Have you had that promise fulfilled in your own life have you, as you've walked with the Lord? Have you felt Him give you counsel? Have you felt the surpassing peace that doesn't make any sense as Jesus impacts your life to where you have clarity and peace over a hard situation? Have you seen God act in your life in a mighty way that's moved you from maybe lostness to being found to where you are lost in sin and you receive the gift of salvation and you you are now found in Him and have life in Him? That's a mighty work of God. Has anybody seen a miracle in their life where God has moved something in your life and transformed maybe a relationship, maybe an illness, maybe He's fixed something with you and your kids? That's a mighty work of God. And the hope that we have, the belief that we have, the, the trust that we have is that God is everlasting, that he will not change, he will never, he will never be different. So, so from now until the end of etern- until eternity happens, we can trust that God is everlasting. And we're still yet to experience that in, in person, but we believe in hope. You know, in this political age that we're in, where we're, we're sheep and goats, we're dividing, it's 50 50 down the road. You either are with us or against us. That's kind of the mentality. Isaiah makes this insane promise that Wyomingites don't like Jesus' government will increase beyond our possible ability to recognize and understand. It's going to grow and grow and grow. <laughs> so yes, Jesus is not motivated by self. He's not motivated by power. He's not motivated by his own achievement and by his own wants. But what does that mean? The government, his leadership, his ownership, his, his authority will increase. His His control over the dominion will increase. His hands and tentacles will touch every part of creation. It will increase exponentially to where its subjects will not ever doubt his leadership or authority or love that he gives on his people. Have you ever thought of yourself as a royal subject to the King Jesus? Do you live out your life as a royal subject to King Jesus with, with begrudging attitude? With, oh, the king wants me to do this again. Oh, if it wasn't for President Jesus, I would never do this. Do you think like that? We don't, it's, it's preposterous. We, we're silly when we say things like that. Jesus is king and his government is going to expand and touch every part and it's, the, the promise is it's going to root out all evil. It's going to destroy everything that's corrupt. It's going, to, it's going to squeeze the life out of evil and destroy it. So all that's left is his life-giving power and his everlasting love that we get to enjoy and be a part of and have fellowship in and, and just reap the blessing that he bestows on us. That's a sentence I never thought when I was 19 I would ever say. We will reap the blessing that he bestows on us. That's like some other foreign language to 19-year-old virgin of me. I'm not even sure what that means. But as, as Jesus controls more and more of you, you look more and more like him. One of the greatest promises in Isaiah chapter 9 is, He will uphold justice and righteousness. The lion with the lamb. That's what that looks like. Two things that don't match coming together. When Jesus leads with up with upholds with righteousness and justice, all that's good is what takes place. These are great promises. Now the promise. Remember, the promise is supposed to increase belief. It's supposed to create hope. It's supposed to inspire confidence so that we live out our calling. So biblical hope is based on a person which makes it incredibly different from optimism. I think we confuse optimism and hope sometimes. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. That's optimism. I'm going to see the good in this. And I hope that the circumstances will work out so that the good will come about. That's optimism. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope isn't focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in Scripture often recognize there's no evidence that things will ever get better. You ever read Hebrews chapter 12? Nothing will get better, but choose to hope anyway. That's biblical hope. In the New Testament, the earlier followers of Jesus did this thing. They cultivated a habit of hope. They they planted seeds of hope and and, and tilled the ground and worked the ground of hope. They believed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They believed that God was doing a work in their garden as they were cultivating hope in their lives. Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope that people can be reborn to become new and different kinds of humans. And this hope wasn't just for humans. No, your cats don't get redeemed. It's impossible. Sorry. But Paul says that hope, that the hope of creation itself will be liberated from the slavery of sin. And the corruption of sin. And we brought into freedom. And that happens when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold. Waiting for the whole universe to be restored. And rescued from evil and death. Some of us would say it's crazy to think that way. And it is. But biblical hope, remember, isn't optimism. We're not trying to see the best result out of the current circumstances. Biblical hope is a hot knife to butter to circumstances. And it just melts right through it. The good news, the gospel is built on hope, on the confession that the birth of Christ came, happened, he lived, he died, and he was resurrected. Jesus, the King, establishes His kingdom not for a time, but for eternity. And what we have received from God, we gladly need to extend to others. That's the picture of the innkeeper. Having these seeds of hope through the messianic prophecies given and knowing and hearing and remembering what God had promised to where the moment comes. Hope built up so much that belief grew so the person could act. It's God's past faithfulness in our lives that motivates hope for our future. You look forward by looking backwards sometimes, which is hard for me. I am not a backwards thinker. I don't think historically. I forget everything that happened behind me. I'll forget a conversation I had eight minutes ago because I'm always thinking ahead. But the seeds of the promises of God, through all of the old testament were to plant a garden of hope for its people to till so here's a final word hope sustains past our current circumstances the innkeeper had a had a hotel could have put some people up the room was full so i'm going to look past my circumstances i'm going to rise to the situation you can go stay in our barn Go to the barn. Living living out that lifestyle requires that we live by hope. We believe that God uses us to bring about hope, to bring about his purposes, his plans, and redemption to the world. It rarely looks like how we imagine it to. Rarely. It hardly ever matches what we think it's going to be. I imagine it was difficult for the innkeeper to fully understand what was happening at the place of business that night. But because of the seeds, had grown themselves into faith-filled actions, the innkeeper acted. And saw beyond the frustration of a full house, a busy town, a young couple that needed a place to rest. Those are seeds of hope. And here's the personal thing for each one of you. You cultivate that. You grow that. Jesus gives you the seed. He says, this is my word, the seed. You cultivate that. You don't just arrive at hope. You don't just show up and go, hey, here I am, hope. I have it. I'm going to wear it as a badge. I'm going to put it on as a suit jacket, and I'm going to look good doing it. No, it's built through deep faith in Christ and all of the promises that have been laid out. Turn with me to Psalm 37, and then we'll close here. I'll close here, and then we'll go into some worship. This uh, last Wednesday, we were at the Bartoshes. There was a group of us, and there were some sweet stories shared. And And uh, the Stumbo shared a story, and I've heard it before. Uh, but it, it, it landed on me differently that night in, in a way that, like, just kind of, as I was processing what to say on Sunday. He shared one of their life verses as a couple. They've been married 50 years. Steve and joy, and they serve here, and they're going to lead worship here in a bit, uh, forever. And And their, their story um, and the verse that they read just landed on me well, and it, and it kind of crystallized this idea of hope and how it's built and cultivated in our lives so that we can take action and, and minister to the person that we see. Psalm 37, I'm going to read a few verses, probably, I don't even know, just a few, five. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Dwell, the word tabernacle right there, is often referred to as Jesus coming to earth, dwelling amongst us, tabernacling tabernacling amongst us. And then here's the phrase that Steve read, and cultivate faithfulness. Cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. The it isn't defined. The it isn't clear. The it changes every other week for us. But as you cultivate faithfulness, as you dwell in the land, as you commit your way to Lord, as you trust in Him, He will do it. The it is so important because it's its people, God's people doing it. I don't know what that is all the time. I can define it for our church at times. I can define it for my household. But the it is really important for God's people to do. Because the psalmist says He'll do it. And we're a part of it. And so as God is working on us and, he, and he's building us up and we're committing our ways to him and we're dwelling with him and we're letting him impact our life, hope is rising, belief is rising, and action is increasing because the action is the it. Sometimes the action is showing up and moving some boxes out of a trailer. Sometimes the action is bringing a meal. Sometimes the action is welcoming somebody into the house. Sometimes the action is letting somebody live in a house that I just found out about, by the way, this week, and I'm proud of you guys. That was a sub-message that only a handful of us know about. That's the it. The it is different for all of our households. Sometimes it's praying when we don't want to pray because the it is the thing that God is doing through you. Sometimes the it is putting a kid over your knee and giving them a spank and saying, this is going to produce fruit in your life because I'm steering you in a direction you need to go. And it doesn't feel like it at the time. But I promise as, as, we, as we trust in God, as we do good, as we dwell in the land, and we cultivate, we stir up, we work the land of faithfulness, he will do it and people's actions will reflect and accomplish the purposes of God. Not your purposes, the purposes of God. The innkeeper is a person we know nothing about. We've created an entire scenario based upon the businesswoman. But the actions of the innkeeper can give us an insight of what it looks like to believe, to have hope, and to do it, whatever it is.